Let's pray together. We'll jump in. God, we do declare collectively that this church belongs to you. Or this isn't our church. This is your church. And so, God, we submit ourselves to you. Or we are desperate for you to lead and to guide us. Or especially during this exciting season. We pray you continue to give us discernment and wisdom. Lord, that you'd even use our time this morning um, Lord, to sh- shine a light on our next steps. Lord, that you give us open hearts, open ears. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our normal uh, preaching diet here at Pennington Park Church is exposi- expositional preaching, which means we walk through uh, books of the Bible and we do so verse by verse. And we do that because we want the word uh, to do the work. But in light of the season that we're in, as we just saw in the video, I'm going to take a break from 1 Samuel over the next couple of weeks, and I want to share where we believe God is leading our church. I believe that this moment in our church's history is so important uh, that the next two Sundays, the sermon's going to be a little bit different than our normal deep expositional preaching. Uh, instead, I'm going to address three main questions. Uh, number one, uh, the question is, what kind of season are we in as a church? And secondly, uh, where are we headed? What's next? And then thirdly, why do we believe that God is leading us in that particular uh, direction? Okay, so the what, the where, and the why. All right, first, what kind of season are we in as a church? Well, we are in an exciting season as a church where we are experiencing uh, exponential growth, both numerically and spiritually. Uh, spiritually, we are seeing God do amazing things and, and continue to do amazing things in really tangible ways. We try to highlight those things. We do kind of those God at work moments. And there's just so many things to kind of highlight and see, wow, God is doing this. God is doing that. One of the things that, that we love to kind of track and highlight, um, and if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you've been with us for some time, this isn't new for you, but we call it the engagement level. An engagement level uh, shows us, uh, basically among our members, how many people are not just giving and attending, but how many of them are either serving or in a small group. And and that's something that we track as kind of the primary metric to determine the health of our church, because it shows us uh, that that you're taking a step in growth and using your gifts and being in community. We've always hovered around that 90% engagement level among our members, and we're right there uh, as, as we consider the season that we're in right now, even in the midst of, of all kinds of growth. Uh, we're seeing the Lord uh, draw more people into small group. We have 71% of our members who are in small group, which is really high considering the national average. We were able to, uh, to add 147 new individuals into small groups over the last 12 months, it tells us people are taking a step. They're wanting to do life with other believers centered around the word and prayer. Uh, we just mentioned another vision trip uh, this morning. So this will be our second trip in uh, just a couple of months, kind of making an impact outside the four walls of our church. We've highlighted the Christmas offering, which is something we do uh, every December, trying to pick particular projects uh, related to outreach. And this year we're able to raise over 170 thousand dollars for local outreach um, projects. Just uh, unbelievable what the Lord uh, is doing in and through there. Also seeing just kind of more on the the macro level, um, just the Lord changed people's lives. I mean, we saw that in the baptisms a few weeks ago. Uh, We saw someone come to faith in Christ in a membership interview, right? The Lord just kind of uses anything and everything to draw people to himself. Uh, We had a, a Muslim family actually show up a few months ago 
and, and they had a son uh, with an incurable health condition. And they were seeking prayer. They, they went to the local mosque and, and the leaders there said, yeah, there's nothing we can do. We're not, gonna, we're not even gonna pray uh, to Allah for you. And they found our church because they heard that our church is a praying church. And so they showed up here and our elders rallied around them, shared the gospel with them, prayed over them. And just an unbelievable opportunity, uh, again, just to see God at work. We're seeing all of these examples where the Lord is tangibly working uh, among his people here at this church. Why am I sharing this uh, with you? Why am I highlighting the health um, and really the spiritual growth of our church? Well, for one, I want to remind us that God is at work, that we're not playing church every Sunday. We're not like putting on a show, just playing games. Like the living God is, is at work in our midst. He's changing people's lives. He's transforming them and he's drawing more and more people to his son. And I think that's really important to just be reminded of that, to keep that in mind, uh, especially as we talk about numbers and building expansion projects and, and some of the numerical growth. Because even in the midst of all the growth, our culture, which we love, we love the culture of our church here, it's being preserved. It's remaining healthy, that people are still growing. They continue to grow in, in deep ways. And at the same time, we are experiencing exponential numerical growth. As I mentioned in uh, the video, our attendance over the last two years in particular, we've moved from the low 600s to the mid 900s. Uh, we even hit over 1,032 people just uh, a few weeks ago. And, and all of that's really exciting. A lot of you kind of fit in that camp of you've been coming the last two years, and we love that. But what really excites us is why people are coming. And what we're hearing from many of you, the reason why you're here is because of the centrality of God's word across our ministries. That the Lord's drawing people in, not because we're entertaining people or because I'm just telling stories up here in the pulpit. I don't even tell good stories. Or because of the amazing donuts out there. Like people are coming because they're hungry for the word of God. And we love that because that aligns with our church's culture and values. Now, the amazing problem that we have, and it is an amazing problem, is that we are running out of space quickly in this building. We're already reaching capacity in several of our children's ministry classrooms, even after launching those, uh, those mobile classrooms just a few months ago. Uh, even in this space, consistently hitting 75% capacity. I know some of you come first service especially, it's like, man, where, where is a seat? Where can I find a place to sit? And with our current growth rate, we'll actually max out this building uh, in the next six to 12 months. Let me stress this again. It's an amazing problem to have, right? We, we praise God for all that he's doing. But if that's where we are as a church, if we're experiencing numerical and spiritual growth, then it begs the question, what's next, right? Where, where are we headed as a church if, if we're experiencing some of the capacity uh, uh, issues right now? Well, what's next for us is greater impact. That's what's next. That by God's grace, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will have greater, deeper, lasting impact that will influence generations to come. Notice, I did not say that what's next for us is a building expansion project in a campaign. I don't want that to be our focus. I want our focus to be to having impact through the gospel of Jesus Christ, where he is transforming lives on a weekly basis. See, the, the building expansion, like 
And we'll talk more about that tonight over the next couple of months. It's just a tool. Like it's just a means to accomplishing and experiencing greater impact. And I want that to be our mindset where our focus is on Jesus and on the gospel, changing people, having an impact rather than on numbers and a building expansion project. Because sometimes what happens with churches when they start experiencing growth and they start talking about campaigns and expansion projects is they get distracted. They get distracted by the brick and mortar, by numbers, by growth, and they lose sight of their mission. They lose sight of the why behind what they do. So I, I want you to hear me loud and clear. My, my vision is not to be the biggest church on the block. It's not my vision. It's not to be the biggest church in Fishers. My vision, what I want for us as a church is to keep the main one, the main thing. That's why I want Jesus to be the absolute center of our church. I want him to be our focus. That's why our mission here is to know Jesus and to make him known that he is what drives us. He is why we do what we do. And I'm stressing that here in the introduction because as exciting as it is to have growth, to have campaigns, to have expansion projects, to have all these numbers, it means absolutely nothing unless Jesus is the center, unless he is our why. And so with that in mind, like what's next is we focus on having greater impact for the gospel. We, We do believe that this next season, we, we need to pursue a moderate building expansion project and to launch a three-year campaign to raise funds to pay uh, for that building expansion. And we're really excited about that because, again, we believe that this building expansion, this tool, will enable us to have greater impact and not turn people away. I believe it'll deepen our ministries as we'll have more strategic and available space And more information, again, will be shared tonight at the congregational meeting and over the next couple of months. Even on your way out, you can receive an impact campaign booklet that spells out the plan and timeline. Um, But we are very excited about what the Lord is going to do in this season. Now, you might be wondering, and this is the third question, why is launching a campaign and pursuing a building expansion, why do we believe that this is next for us? Why do we believe that God is leading us in that particular direction? And, you know, wrestling over that question and elders, we've been wrestling with that for over a year now, praying and considering. It kind of reminds me of this game that I grew up playing as a kid. And I know many of you parents, you've taught your your kids how to play this game, the the red light, green light game. You guys remember playing that, right? The, The rules are very simple how to play. You've got pretty much everybody that starts on that starting line And you've got the one who's calling the shots, who's some distance away. And basically that person says green light and everybody on the starting line like runs as fast as they possibly can to get to the finish line. But if that person who's calling the shots turns around and says red light, then everybody has to freeze. They have to stop uh, moving. If they keep moving and that person sees them, then that person is penalized. They either are out of the game or they start back at the starting line. And you just kind of repeat this, red light, green light, red light, green light, until the first person who crosses the finish line is the winner. Again, very simple rules, but you basically, the whole point of it is that you move in accordance with the will of the one who is calling the shots, right? If you you start going rogue and moving however you want to move, you start moving after red light is declared and you're caught, 
You have to start over. You, you, make, you go backward instead of forward, instead of making progress. I've been thinking about that because I, I believe churches experience kind of a similar concept when they're trying to pursue the Lord and trying to discern the Lord's direction uh, for that church in a particular season, when they're trying to make big, significant decisions. Because the reality is, is sometimes God says no to churches. Sometimes God says not yet. Sometimes God gives red lights to churches. When they're trying to pursue a, maybe a new ministry initiative or a particular direction or a new path, sometimes God says red light, no or not yet. Other times, God gives a green light. God says, yes, pursue this initiative, pursue this direction, pursue this open door. And I think the, the takeaway is that churches must remain sensitive to how God is leading that particular body of believers in that particular season. And this morning, I want to help us understand how to recognize green lights and red lights from the Lord. And I think 1 Corinthians 16 is going to help us do that, the Apostle Paul in particular, because as we look at this passage at the end of 1 Corinthians, the, the greatest missionary ever, the Apostle Paul, it, it feels like he's playing a version of green light, red light with the Lord. As he's trying to figure out like what's next for his ministry, where to go, it seems like he's looking to the Lord for a green light. Now, in order for us to understand that, we need to understand some of the kind of confusing aspects of Paul's travel plans here. In this passage, there's a lot about what, you know, visiting here, staying there, passing through this particular location, and it can get confusing. So in order to understand this, we need to be reminded Paul is writing 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the church in Corinth from Ephesus. Okay, he's on his third missionary journey. And I love maps. So we're going to look at a map here, right? Uh, Paul is here in Ephesus, if you can see uh, kind of the pointer there. And what he's saying in verses five and six and seven in particular is he wants to get over here to Corinth, right? It's a long distance away, but he wants to go all the way through Macedonia, spend some time with churches here, and then get to Corinth. Okay, that maybe makes sense of verses five, six, and seven of his travel plans, of his desire, what he wants to do. And verse seven tells us that he actually wants to spend a significant amount of time in Corinth. He wants to spend really through the winter there. That's Paul's desire, right? He wants to hang out with his friends in Corinth, be encouraged, be in the safety of that part particular community. In other words, Paul wants a green light from the Lord to go to Corinth. And yet, God had other plans. God actually gives Paul a red light to Corinth and gives Paul a different green light. Now, what's that other green light? Well, verse eight says that he is going to stay at Ephesus until Pentecost, until really the late spring. So red light to Corinth, green light to Ephesus. But why? How is Paul able to discern that? For Paul, from Paul's perspective, he gets the red light to Corinth, green light to Ephesus because of verse nine. He says four, which is a word to explain verse eight, a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Notice that Paul remains in Ephesus because God opened a door, a door of opportunity. And from Paul's perspective, 
He had to pass through it. That opportunity must be seized. Now let's talk about doors for a moment, right? The way that we talk about doors, the way that we use doors, there are many implications uh, for doors. I don't know if you've stopped to think through this, but we talk about doors as something that we walk in and walk through. We talk about doors as something uh, that's like an entrance or doors can be an exit. Uh, Doors can be a bridge or doors can be a barrier. Uh, Doors, the way that we talk about them can be used as keeping things out, like unwanted animals out from your house. Uh, Doors can be used to, uh, to kind of separate things, like separate cold air from hot air. Doors can protect us. Doors can provide access, right? There's all kinds of implications for how we use doors, but doors also have many implications spiritually. In fact, throughout the Bible, a door is a very popular metaphor. Doors are used to explain the entrance to salvation, John 10, Revelation 3. It's used as an access door of prayer or the entrance door of worship. See, doors is the service door of ministry or the door of fellowship or the door to missions. It's used in all kinds of different ways, but one of the most common uses of doors as it's couched in these various passages is a door is an opportunity. A door is used to present a significant decision for a specific person or a group of people. Notice, let me give you a couple of examples here. Second uh, Corinthians 2, verse 12, Paul says, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was open for me in the Lord. Again, more travel plans for Paul. He's trying to figure out where to go, what to do. And he identifies a door. This opportunity has, uh, has been presented before him. Colossians 4.3, it says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've been imprisoned. Right? He's sitting in prison there, Colossians 4, and he's praying that God would open up a door to share the gospel, that God would present an opportunity to, to share Christ. Revelation 3, 7 and 8, says unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name, right? Doors are opportunities. Doors are presented as decisions for people to make whether to open or whether to close. Now, the really difficult, challenging question is how do you know if a door is an opportunity from the Lord or a trap from Satan or a distraction from other people? Right? Even as you're considering and wrestling with decisions that are presented before you, like how do you know the difference? It reminds me of that game show, Let's Make a Deal. Right? Any Let's Make a Deal fans in the room? Not many. Okay, maybe one. All right. I know it's an old show. It's been on for several decades. But one of the things that they noticed early on is that people really struggled to actually make decisions. Right? The host, Monty Hall, what he would do, he'd offer up a choice for the contestant, where they had their, their prizes that they had already won. They know what those prizes are. And he says, you can keep that, or you can kind of trade that in for a new prize. Now, the new prize is something that they did not know. It was either, you know, it was behind door number one, door number two, or door number three. 
And they didn't know what, you know, do I trade this in? I don't know what's behind there because what could be behind that door is an amazing gift, like a new car, or it could be a gag gift, like a donkey, right? And so what they noticed is the difficulty those contestants had in making a decision. They were oftentimes paralyzed in fear, not knowing what to do. And a lot of contestants would rely on the audience. Who is screaming the loudest, right? Door number two, door number two, door number two. Let's, let's open that one. And they kind of get their cues from them. Or maybe they're hearing you from the TV as you're yelling which door, you know, to open. I was thinking about that because I think sometimes as individuals, but even as churches, we can have that same kind of mindset when we're trying to make decisions, when we're trying to consider, is this an opportunity from the Lord? Is this door number one? Is this door number two, a trap from Satan? Or is this door number three, a distraction from other people? And what oftentimes happens with churches is they become paralyzed with fear and they just don't do anything. We don't wanna rock the boat. So we're just gonna do nothing, which is a decision in and of itself. Or churches will just hear from the loudest individuals. What are the loudest people saying? Oh, let's do that. You know, let's, let's pursue that option. Well, to avoid having that mindset from let's make a deal, we need to understand how Paul processed these different doors of opportunity. Paul was always looking for these open doors to have greater impact. You see it all over uh, his letters. But how did he know which door was the right one? How do we know as a church which door is the right one? And to be honest with you, it's not always obvious. It's not always black and white. You don't always find chapter and verse. God doesn't just send a text message or an email, say, hey, do this at this particular point in time. It takes discernment. It takes wisdom. It takes kind of collectively, where do we sense the Lord is, is leading us? And again, I've been wrestling this for over a year and much of my ministry just trying to, to lead the church in a direction where I'm sensing the Lord is leading us. And I wish there was a chapter and verse, okay, do this at this particular point. But what we have, I think, in scripture are principles. I think we've got common characteristics of what I would consider to be open doors from the Lord that when you see them, the, the church should at the very least consider opening and walking through. And I wanna share four characteristics that, that I've just been digging through the scriptures about what open doors look like that at the very least we should consider opening and walking through. Again, these are not prescriptive. These are not for every decision at, for all times at all places for all people. These are rather descriptive, but I think that they're guiding principles for us nonetheless. All right, here's, I think, characteristic number one is that these open doors, these opportunities from the Lord, they lead to greater gospel impact, right? For Paul, he discerned that this was a providential situation which God placed before him that he should remain in Ephesus and take full advantage of it. But why, right? Well, notice the way he describes this opportunity, verse nine. It's a wide door for effective work. This door before him, he knew if he walked through it, it was going to have greater impact. In fact, that word uh, effective, uh, you could actually translate it as actively at work. It refers to something that which is capable of making things happen. So Paul is saying that this door will empower and enable gospel effectiveness, for the gospel to continue to work and to experience fruits. 
You see this word effective in other places throughout the Bible. Hebrews 4, verse 12, to describe actually the word of God. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's the same word there. You can say the word of God is living and effective. And so in the same way, Paul is saying that this door before him was capable of introducing new opportunities for gospel effectiveness and gospel activity. Uh, Commentary explained it this way. Uh, His reasoning, Paul's reasoning, provides a valuable lesson for those seeking to determine the will of God in a ministry situation. Paul wanted to remain in Ephesus temporarily because a great door for effective work had opened for him. In other words, Paul saw that his efforts in Ephesus were succeeding. He recognized his success as an indication that he should continue to work in Ephesus. So for Paul, these doors of opportunity from the Lord, they're not being driven by self-advancement. It's not the, you know, Paul's brand of Christianity going forth. It's not driven by even comfort of, okay, this is an open door. This is going to be the easiest option uh, for me. Paul was driven by really this primary metric of like, man, what's going to have a greater impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And you can trace that all throughout uh, his letters. Now, as we consider our opportunity before us to expand our building, we wholeheartedly believe that this will enable us to have greater gospel impact. That adding more seats in the sanctuary, adding more space in the lobby, in the children's ministry, for even students for student ministry and adult education space, all of that will enable us to have deeper effectiveness as the gospel continues to be at work in and through us at Pennington Park Church. And we believe that because we want to be so focused on Jesus. Like that is what is motivating us here. We want people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow after Jesus. That this expansion project is not about numbers. This is not about our brand of church kind of expanding and going forth. No, we want to create more space for more people who are hungering for the word of God and to come in here and to be fed, to be nourished with this book so they can grow, so they can know Jesus and to make him known. Like we want more space for for more people who don't know Jesus. Many of your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors to come in here because there are more seats available and for them to hear Jesus proclaimed, to see Jesus exalted and for something in their heart to say, man, I want that. Like, I I want that Jesus. I want more of what he is explaining. And I want Jesus to be the king and the ruler of my life. Like, that's why we believe this this project will enable greater impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think when those opportunities are placed before us, we should at the very least, like Paul, consider opening that door and walking through it. But then secondly, I think another characteristic that we see, another principle is that these opportunities are strategic. These these aren't just random plans or random opportunities. They're strategic. Paul explains this door as not only leading to effective work, but he describes it as wide. Like it's it's open. It's it's big. It's strategic. And I love the way he describes it. It's been opened to me. Like he identifies that, that God is the one who has flung open this opportunity. This isn't just kind of Paul's desire on a whim here as he's trying to figure out how to spend time and how to spend his energy. No, he's looking to the Lord. 
He's saying, man, I really wanna go to Corinth. I really wanna hang out with my friends there. But this opportunity is so wide, it's so big, it's so strategic. I need to pivot here and be obedient to the Lord. And we know even the fruit of his ministry, Acts 19.10 describes that he spent two years there so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, Jews and Greeks. That's a big opportunity for Paul. That's a strategic opportunity that Paul recognized. He knew the the very placement of the city of Ephesus. It was one of the, the largest and most important cities in the Mediterranean ancient world. It was exploding with growth. It was the crossroads of civilization. It's actually known as the supreme city of Asia. Economically, Ephesus was a giant among these first century cities. With its strategic location, it was the chief commercial center of Western Asia Minor. And really for two reasons. Number one, its harbor, it brought in ships from all over the Mediterranean. But number two, it had these two major roads that gave access to other cities along the coast and inland. Look, to put it very succinctly, Ephesus was strategic. And that was a cue for Paul to actually walk through this door. And I think for us, as we consider this building expansion project, I also believe that this is strategic. Like we know how quickly and how fast, how much growth Hamilton County is experiencing and has been experiencing over the last several years. In fact, Hamilton County is growing more than any other county in all of Indiana. And we're experiencing, some of you have moved in here over the last couple of years. You're actually a fruit of that. That a lot of people who, are, who have moved in here, who are newer to the area, they're either looking for gospel-centered churches, or some people are just unchurched, they're not saved, and are wonderful opportunity, opportunities for us to share the gospel and to have a greater impact. I think as the Lord continues to draw people to Fishers and Noblesville and the surrounding area, we have a strategic opportunity to reach them with the gospel by expanding our faith. I think it's, it's strategic. And then thirdly here, another characteristic is that these opportunities actually involve opposition. I know this sounds backwards. <laughs> this sounds strange. You might normally expect me to say these, these involve, you know, no resistance. You know, these are easy. Everything kind of falls into place. But that's not what we see here in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Paul says this wide door for effective work that's open to him, but notice that last phrase, and there are many adversaries. What a strange thing to include there as he's considering green light, red light from the Lord. We know from Acts 19 and 20, Paul encountered some of the roughest opposition to the gospel there in Ephesus. And I think what this means practically is that not every door that appears to be open is a door from the Lord. And not every door that appears to be closed is a closed door from the Lord. That oftentimes the open doors that God wants us to walk through are not the only ones in which everything falls into place. Many times there is great opposition to the opportunities, one of those powerful opportunities that God wants people, wants churches to walk through. You even consider some of these passages I read a minute ago, they all involve opposition. The Colossians 4 passage is about praying for open doors. Again, Paul is in prison. Like he's waiting trials, waiting execution. And he's praying for open doors for the gospel to go forth. Second Corinthians 2, he's praying for an open door in Troas for the gospel advancement. But that verse also talks about being painfully uh, at unrest within his spirit. 
experiencing opposition and adversaries with the gospel going forth. Again, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, we see that once again. I think the principle here is just because a door is open from the Lord doesn't mean it will be easy. So don't equate open door with ease as we're considering the opportunities, these open doors that God is placing before us. And I wanna stress that because as we consider this opportunity for this building expansion project and and launching a three-year campaign in 23, 24, and 25, it's not gonna be easy. Like the economic landscape, I wish it was more stable right now. We have a, a 2024 presidential election that's right around the corner. And we know what that does to, to people, right? And raising five, five and a half million dollars uh, over and beyond regular ongoing uh, um, giving to the church here, that's gonna be very stretching for us. That's gonna be a challenge, but that doesn't mean that this is a closed door. In fact, I, I think opposition, as we consider open doors, closed doors, opposition is not a sign that the door is closed, Some of the most important doors that God wants to open include some of the most challenging opposition that we face. In addition, I think that there will continue to be opposition spiritually. I was just chatting with a staff member a few weeks ago. We were just talking about the spiritual attacks, the spiritual warfare that we've experienced over the last couple of months in our midst. And I would assume as the gospel continues to go forth, that that's going to increase not only that though, but just the natural challenges that come with growth, right? We've been experiencing the last couple of years, just the growing pains, right? Some of the discomfort that we feel because, man, it's harder to find a seat or, wow, I can't check in my kid here because of A, B, and C, right? All of that can impact the ministry and the unity of the church that we need to be on guard against. But again, opposition's not a sign the door is closed. Many times it's a sign that there is an open door. And then fourthly here, the, the last characteristic I would share with us is that these open doors include risk. They include risk. I wish they didn't. But oftentimes they include a step of faith because all you can see is the doorknob and not always what's on the other side of that door. And so it takes a level of risk, a level of faith. And from our vantage point, it's very risky. We don't know what's on the other side. We don't know as we launch this campaign if we're gonna hit our target or not. God does. So from our vantage point, it's risky. From God's vantage point, it's obedience. And yet these decisions that involve risk, man, I don't know anybody who loves to make those decisions that involve risk, right? We tend to struggle with this. I know my own life when I'm making important big decisions or you know, for us as a church, I always consider like, I go back to this decision-making spectrum. I think there's a decision-making spectrum and all of us kind of fall, they kind of, we all kind of lean towards one end of the spectrum or the other. And there are two ditches that I want to encourage us to avoid. On one side, there's paralyzing fear, right? You see this in so many churches where they have a decision to make. And for them, there's so much fear because they not only are aware of the worst case scenarios, but they actually believe that the worst case scenarios are going to happen. So we're just going to do nothing. We're always gonna do with the super conservative option. And I would consider that to be being paralyzed with fear. The other side though, is impulsive action. Some churches think activity equals fruitfulness. So let's keep going, right? What's next? Let's just do something, do anything. And it's very rash, it's very impulsive, and it's not always being generated from the Lord. But right there in the middle though, right there, there's this wide lane 
which I would describe as wise obedience. And I think that's where we need to be. Again, as we consider opportunities that aren't really black and white, there's no chapter and verse, you have to use discernment and, and wisdom. And I think for us, as we consider this next step, if the Lord is calling us to this, we need to be obedient. We also need to have courage, not only to see the open door, to open it and to walk through. And that often involves a level of risk and this feeling of being stretched, right? I know as you're considering decisions in your own life or for your family, and you're considering and weighing those options, and you're sensing the Lord is wanting you to make a particular decision, oftentimes you feel stretched. Why is that? Well, because I think opportunities that God places before us, sometimes it creates a gap in our lives. We've got this gap and we don't always know how it's going to be filled. Uh, This gap could be experienced with time and energy. I know as we consider this next project, there's gonna be a level of time and energy invested. There already has been. And you wonder, how will that gap be filled? Are you thinking about relationships or money or different resources as we consider giving towards this project? That's gonna be stretching. There's gonna be a gap that is created there. The good news is, is that we serve a God who loves to fill gaps. He loves to fill gaps, especially if it's leading to greater gospel impact. And so will this stretch us? Yeah, it will. Will it be easy? Probably not. Does God love to flex his power and his might among his people with these kinds of opportunities? Absolutely. And he has all of the resources. Like God owns it all. And there is sufficient grace available. Let me remind us of this wonderful promise. I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, that you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Man, what a powerful promise, right? Especially as you're considering green light, red light, open door, closed door. Like God owns it all. He has unlimited resources. And as gaps are created, as we step into this, he promises to fill them, that he has sufficient grace. And yet the challenge is, and the reality is, is that open doors are only of value if you walk through them. And the reality is that life is short. We are here today and it feels like we're gone tomorrow. It's how the scriptures describe our lives. Our lives are like a mist. And yet eternity is long. Eternity is, is forever. And when we have these opportunities before us to have greater gospel impact, and as the Lord leads as the Lord confirms, may we walk in obedience, may we walk in courage, trusting him to provide all that we need. Let me give you a couple action steps as we uh, consider closing here this morning. I would just ask you to consider doing two things in light of all this. Number one is to pray. Pray for our church as we continue to, to follow the Lord in obedience. I'm reminded of, of Proverbs 16, nine. It says, in the heart of a man, he plans his way but it's the Lord who establishes his steps. 
So just pray that the Lord continues to establish our steps, that we continue to see those steps and we walk in obedience. Also pray uh, for you as you consider how you might participate um, in this next season. And then secondly, I want to encourage you to learn more. All right, I mentioned those impact campaigns, uh, impact campaign booklets on the tables as you leave. It has a, a ton of helpful information about the vision, about the timeline, about the next steps, about the plan. And just encourage you to, to take a booklet, read it, pray over it. Uh, even come tonight to the congregational meeting at five o'clock. We'll talk more about uh, this next season for us and over the next couple of months. And then there's a webpage uh, related to the campaign and uh, the project. So again, this is an exciting season. This is a, a pivotal moment in our church's history. Let's continue to seek the Lord as he gives us discernment and wisdom. Let's pray together. God, we give you praise. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our church. Lord, we're reminded of John 15, Jesus' words. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God, we are nothing without you. We are just playing church without you being at work. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider this opportunity in this season before us, that you would continue to guide and lead us. Lord, the psalmist says that unless you build the house, the labors labor in vain. Or we don't want to labor in vain. We don't want to just do activity for activity's sake. We want to be obedient to you. So give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Lord, fill us with a sensitivity to your spirit. May we walk in the open doors that you provide. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.